very scary Christmas to you, and welcome to this episode of The Pod People, the show where we do stuff about movies. You know what this is. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm joined today, as always, by Ben Sheets. Hello, hello. And Eugene Lundeen. Jingle, 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 let all the people single. For the holidays, <laughs> Christmas is upon us. I hope everyone has gotten a lot of great and yummy presents this holiday season. I know I have. It's cuffing season, and cuffing. so I got lots and lots of handcuffs, so oh. I can so I can cuff people. <laughs> Ooh, no, that's good. Spread the Try holiday to catch cheer. Santa. Wow. Well, you know, I I didn't want to say anything about it, but I I have something to admit to you guys. I think I think I might have killed Santa Claus. Oh no! Oh well, that technically makes you Santa Claus. Right? Have you not seen the Santa Claus? That would explain why my beard turned white and I've put on so much extra weight. You have taken up the claws of Santa. It is the Santa Claus. You need to get situated fast. You have a couple days. Out of time. Well, no, you guys, today is Christmas. Yes, but you are running out of time. <laughs> well, n- n- I mean... N- I haven't gotten... Christmas isn't, Christmas isn't happening this year. I'm, I'm way, way behind. But don't, don't you guys want to hear what happened to, to the last Santa? What happened? It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of an embarrassing story, I must say. So I, I had a bit too much nog... You know, Ooh, um, the nog. yeah, I was I was hitting the nog pretty hard, uh, you know, just me and my handcuffs. Um, and I heard this uh, this whining at the door, you know, so I uh, and, and sort of like a scratching. And so I, I go to the door and what do I find? But a very, very friendly wolf. Oh, a wolf. I thought you were going to say Santa. <laughs> yes, Santa was scratching at my door. What? No, it was it was a very friendly Yuletide wolf. And uh, so, you know, I let the wolf in because, you know, we just have wolves roaming the streets of Milwaukee this time of year. Well, they're um, all coming around to see the lights. That's right. The decorations. Um, so I, I let the wolf into my house. Um, I gave him some nog, you know, because... It, oh, you sh- gave the wolf nog? Sharing is caring, Eugene. Oh, but you should never give a wolf nog. Well... I've heard of giving a, a dog nog. You're you're right. You're I, a dog nog, but never give a wolf nog. I should not have given the wolf nog in hindsight because um, soon enough the wolf was quite liquored up, and uh, Santa came in through my back door because I don't have a chimney, and um, I thought it was a burglar. You know, forgetting that there would be a, a fat man coming into my house to leave me more handcuffs. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, gun owners out there, watch out. Make sure you do not shoot Santa, but... Well, it it's... Seems... It, yeah, don't shoot me, because yeah, I'm, San- I'm, I'm Santa now, <laughs> because uh, I thought it was a burglar, and I sort of um, might have sicked my new wolf friend on Santa, and boy, it was a bloodbath. There is still... A lot of blood in my kitchen. Don't go in there. Well, I I, I did pass through there. I, I had to get, grab a cup of water, and I didn't want to say anything, but I'm glad you brought this up because I was very scared. Well, it's it's kind of you to not want to m- mention my uh, my indiscretion. You're Santa now, so that, that makes up for it all the way. That's, That's awesome. right. And instead of delivering presents to the, the needy children of the world, I'm here today to record a podcast about some scary-ass Christmas movies. <laughs> 
I guess let's try and be fast after this. We'll we'll let you run around the world once. Uh, I haven't I haven't figured out my uh, my time bending powers yet. I didn't have a chance to have Santa explain that to me because. Oh, was he trying to explain anything to you while he was getting mauled to death? <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. The last thing he said is, you've been a very bad boy. Oh, oh fuck. <laughs> which is which really was the, the deepest cut because I've always thought I'm a very good boy. Hey, I mean, you hold all the power now. That's you get right. to decide who's naughty and nice. So Everyone's naughty except for me. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm keeping all the presents for myself. One present and lots of coal. Lots of coal. Speaking of naughty boys and nice boys, the big old boy Disney has taken another power move. Another company has fallen under its grasps, if we want to get into that now. The the Dark Empire? Yes. yes Disney grows and grows. Disney is the baddest boy. Very, very naughty. Nothing but coal for you this year, Mr. Walt. You know, it was... All just part of some unfortunate plan by Disney where they still managed to make a bunch of competent, massive universe films and just wait for all the other companies to fail at their attempts and scoop them up once that yep, all just fell that's under. It. So yeah, as we've mentioned, Disney has officially acquired 21st Century Fox. <sighs> um, yeah, I want to spend some time talking about what this means for the future of movies in general. Uh, because right now, everybody is just excited that the X-Men are finally able to be part of the Marvel Cinematic uh, Universe again. That's all anybody gives a shit about. Oh, boy. God. That's great. They get more properties now. Just more films the past You know what that means, seasons. guys? That means we get the entire X-Men franchise rebooted all over oh, again. That we, ha- we can look forward to that and see even more crossover movies. If anything, Disney has shown that they have a single business model that they follow firmly without straying much, and that's uh, building cinematic universes, a movie or two every year, all connected to the same type of franchise. Disney um, is is like the blob, slowly consuming everything around it, swelling in size and becoming more of a menace until there's nothing we can do to stop them. My question is, what is the next franchise cinematic universe going to be? Because we I think have... they're going to jump on X-Men pretty fucking quick. Yeah, but won't they just like tie them into Marvel? I think it will definitely end up tied in with Marvel uh sooner than later, but I think they have to lay the groundwork first. I don't think in the first X-Men movie we're going to see Tony Stark in the Avengers. Well, also, in addition to X-Men, they now own the rights to both the Alien and the Predator franchise. Yes, which is much more relevant to our own show. Yeah, I know they're coming movies. out with a Predator movie next year. Um, written by Shane Black. I think it might be directed by Shane Black, too. Oh. Um, I'm could, actually looking forward to that. That could be all right. But hopefully uh, Disney keeps its grubby paws off of the uh, final cut. I, you know they won't, though. I think a, a good question, too, is what does this mean for the continuation of the Alien franchise under Ridley Scott? Do you well, think they're do you think they're going to let it keep going the way it's been going? Do you think we're going to get a follow-up to Alien Covenant like planned or do you think they're going to scrap that and start again? 
I think what'll happen is we'll get a cinematic universe where they'll start cranking those movies out and putting more fan service in each movie. I think another Alien vs. Predator movie is definitely in our future. But what fan service could you even do for, like, an Alien movie? Cause Bring Sigourney Weaver back for a cameo. More chest bursting. Yeah. Well, more chest. There's already there's chest bursting in, in, in all the Alien movies. Yeah, but but the fans want more of it. The, well, that that's true, but then that'd just be an alien film at that point. Bring, hey, is Ripley now a Disney princess? And does that hey. make Arnold Schwarzenegger no, no, a no, Disney no, no. prince? Is I think the better question, is the alien queen a Disney princess? Oh, well, she definitely slays. <laughs> well, she's definitely more just like the, the Wicked Witch or something like that, if anything. She's a great Slay Disney villain. Slay queen. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So I think we can agree that monopolies are bad, right? Like this is this is problematic. Like I don't think people have considered the implications of Disney acquiring 20th Century Fox. Well, I think a lot of people have. It's just uh it's the same thing that happened with all those uh phone companies when they had to break up the monopolies. It's just happening again, but as long as there are like two or three other companies out there, then it's not technically a monopoly. Well, right. And so they can't do anything until it's too late. And the problem, too, is that it's not like Disney slaps their logo onto these these new properties, you know? It's like they own them, but they still operate them under the guise of them being their own uh, separate entities, right. you know? You don't see the Magic Castle whenever a Marvel film starts up or right. anything like that. Or, Star, reser- or Star Wars. Right. It's like, reserved for Pixar. That's right. <laughs> I mean, we're... And we're still gonna have the uh, same 20th Century Fox intro, I think, with the with the lights and the music and all that. And I, You know what confused me the most when I looked up the story is they were showing, like, 21st Century Fox as the logo. And I've always thought of it as 20th Century Fox. Yes. I mean, I guess technically we are in the 21st century now. Is is that the, the pivot they're trying to yeah, make? Yeah. The logo looks so weird, though, because I'm I, so used to 20th Century Fox. But one thing about this merger that I want to talk about is i think it might cement in more the uh the death of cinemas like in like terms theaters. of like yeah theaters i mean you're seeing rising takes from movies where uh they're letting theaters keep less money per ticket well right like we which, talked about a few episodes yeah which Star internal Wars push uh, ticket prices up even more. People get sick of it and turn to streaming services. But the interesting thing about the merger is Disney also acquired a controlling stake in Hulu. Oh, yes, that's right. Before we jump into streaming, I I have uh, a thought on the the theater thing. Do you think that we're going to start seeing new, like, Disney-branded theaters? Where Disney opens their own cinemas and plays all movies that are owned by their properties. That no, way, they, that that's... way they don't have to compete with box offices and start and take more money away from the theaters. They're just going to have their own theaters and keep all of those profits. No, I think that's actually something. That's a law that was put in place back in like the fifties or something because movie studios used to own their own theaters, but. 
I'm pretty sure that was broken up. If they wanted to, they could probably just build like a like a giant store or something, one of those like mega Disney like spots and then have a theater within it or something like that. Cuz I don't know yeah. if you're if, as a studio if you're allowed to actually own. That's that's a good yeah, point. Theater. I would have to look that up, but uh that does seem like something that like they would have done prior if it had yeah. if that was not if there was not a law against that. Right. I feel like that would be kind of unlikely too because <laughs> the theater model is starting to become outdated. I think if anything, uh they would create their own Disney streaming service. Do you where think you that's pay just a what subscription? It- but I think they might bundle that in with Hulu. With Hulu, yeah, because they have controlling stake. And My question is, would they make you charge uh, charge you more for the Disney package, or would they just keep it within Hulu? I I think they'd probably charge more. Right, just like, because they got it with Showtime, too. You can add that on. Yeah. Well, do you think they would make it an additional package, or do you think they would just increase the the monthly subscription cost for Hulu as a whole? I think add it on a and package rather than increase the price of Hulu. Yeah, I agree. I think it would be more of a package rather than increase because they they still have to compete with Netflix. No, and, they don't. <laughs> I mean... No, they don't. Especially because right now Netflix has a ton of Marvel movies and Disney properties on it. All they have to do is pull all that shit from Netflix and put it on Hulu. And Netflix Are they even is, allowed and Netflix to do that? Netflix is done. Because those are all Netflix original series. I I would think they own certain. The original to series. The original series. I think they would no. be able to keep. But yeah. the all the movies. Series, no, yeah. Well, yeah, like the the Avengers movies that are on Netflix and stuff. All of those properties. Like, yeah, they could totally pull those off Netflix. I think for the original series, like Daredevil, fucking Jessica Jones, and uh, The Punisher, and all that shit. Since those are specifically Netflix originals, then they'll stay. But since those are still Marvel things, like Disney's definitely getting profits from those. I am. Yeah. I think more likely, honestly, than them putting Netflix out of business, now that I'm thinking about it, is eventually they'll just acquire Netflix, too. Yeah, well, Netflix is a little out of their price range right now. At the moment, yes, but Um, after a while... There's going to be some competition. I I don't see Netflix market share coming down anytime soon. I think with all the money they're pumping into programming, I think something like $3 billion within the next five years all going to new movies and shows. They'll have enough content where... They can have their own content without having to worry. I about mean, that is the good thing about Netflix, pulled. though, is that they definitely like have the. I'm not going to say monopoly, but they they definitely have the the best original series and movies. I think. Like, I know Hulu's been trying to match them for a while, but they just haven't been able to do it. There's just so much like quality programming on Netflix, and I think they're going to have to do more of that in order to survive because honestly outside of their original movies and shows their selection is not great yeah do you think we'll get any uh horror franchises coming back because i i I think about you know like in the 80s that was kind of the the era of horror franchises where you get like eight nine movies in a series most of them in theaters well, I think if they're going to do that, then they have to come up with new horror franchises because they're they've proven that 
rebooting the old horror franchises doesn't work. They've tried in the last seven or eight years to reboot Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween to some success. I'd say Halloween is maybe more successful than any of the others, but the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street reboots both flopped. Yeah. They're doing another Halloween next year, though. Yeah, well, we talked about that with bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis. I think that franchise has some legs, and maybe they'll be able to push that on for a little while, but I think they have to come up with something really original and something that people actually like, because they've been trying to do franchises with, like, Insidious. We're getting a new Insidious next month, I think. Yep. And uh, and The Conjuring, and the, the all the various Conjuring spinoffs. Annabelle, they're doing one about the Demon Nun from Conjuring 2. And people don't go see those movies. They don't do well critically or box office-wise. Yeah, well, they do well enough to make more of them. For so. now, but I don't think I don't think they're gonna be able to drag those out long enough to have the same kind of franchises as like Friday the Thirteenth, yeah. you know, that has like ten films just in just in its original run, reboots not included. Well, schlock is usually the best type of movie to get a bunch of sequels because it's just dumb fun anyways it doesn't matter if the story doesn't make too much sense right i think that's the problem with their current franchise attempts is they try to still make them so serious beyond the point that anybody wants them to be serious does anybody still give a shit about insidious like who the fuck who the fuck cares no we've hit an age now where so many better horror movies have come out outside of the kind of horror insidious did that it's just it's old now it's boring no one cares about the the high violin strings and the the sudden jump scares with the loud noises which insidious did well It's just that there have been so many other different kinds of horror. It's so tired. But at the same time, like, I don't know if I want my favorite contemporary horror movies to be turned into franchises. I don't know if I want It Follows 7. No, or the the Babadook 6, you know? Like, that's my worry with these horror franchises. For something like Alien, like, it's fine. I thought Alien Covenant was pretty alright. I enjoyed it well enough, all its plot holes aside. And I think that kind of stuff can maybe continue for a little while, but. Well, the thing about that is, Babadook and It Follows are not schlock. We need some schlocky slasher heroes for this generation. Yeah, there's not many uh, slasher movies these days. I don't um, see any slasher villains doing one-liners anymore. Well, on on that subject, should we uh, jump into some of these Christmas movies? Because, oh, great segue. Yeah, there's some very good one-liners. Why don't you tell us about Santa Sleigh, Ben, our sure. first movie? So Santa Sleigh is a movie directed by David Simon, all about Santa Claus actually... Santa being an anagram for Satan. Santa Claus is actually a demon. who The uh, the son of the devil. Yeah, who lost a bet with an angel. So he uh, has to become a giver of toys and happiness to all the children in need. For a thousand years. For a thousand years. But guess what? The thousand years are up. Uh, So he goes to uh, Hell Township. Yes, uh, the name of the town is Hell. To take revenge. 
Yeah, and uh, instead of bringing uh, joy and gifts, he brings death and destruction Some and one-liners. Yuletide fear. Yuletide fear, yes. Um, so this movie starts, we should really start with that crazy opening sequence. They have a lot of recognizable names. Not necessarily uh, famous but recognizable. Like, I'd say I'd say like B-list celebrities. Maybe C-list. Maybe C-list. Besides James Caan. Well, this also this movie did come out in 2005. So, uh, I think those celebrities were a little bit more relevant then than they are now. Sure. So, we have Chris Catan, we have James Caan, Fran Drescher, uh Vanessa Cartwright. Uh, Rebecca Gayhart, all sitting around a dinner table, uh, getting ready to eat Christmas dinner, and they're just the worst family. One of the daughters is glad that they're not Samoan. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's right. When they, like, Fran Drescher starts getting, like, really sexual, and James Conn's like, I don't want to screw the bird, I just want to eat it! <laughs> she gets talking about how moist the turkey is, and how, uh... Gotta do foreplay on the turkey to get it. That's right. In the middle of this kind of witty banter, out of nowhere, uh, Santa Claus comes down the chimney, and Santa is played by uh, Bill Goldberg. None other than Bill fucking Goldberg. Legendary wrestler slash football player. He's a triple threat at that point. Actor, wrestler, football player. And so he, he comes he can down do it the all. chimney, except and Brock Lesnar. He he gives some witty one-liners, and then like kills them all off. Yeah, and he, first thing he he kicks the little like poodle dog that one of them has, and it goes swinging on a fan <laughs> and flies around the room. I for some reason I love that sort of stuff when a small dog is kicked or tossed <laughs> across a room because then they always have the same sort of puppet that's super rigid that just zooms across. It's uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, he just <laughs> destroys all of them, uh, drowns Fran Drescher in eggnog after setting her on fire. Well, we should also mention that he sets her on fire by, like, blowing a fireball out of his mouth. Yes. Well, like, because he's because he's a demon, and so yeah. he has he has fire. He can powers. do that. Yeah, he can, yeah, he can do that. He does now, doesn't. It. He doesn't. He drink something before he he like spits it into her face. Well, I, he, I know he definitely shoots fireballs out of his mouth later in the okay. movie, so maybe that's not the the very beginning, but it definitely is something that he is capable of. Right. <laughs> and yeah, oh. and then all of these people are dead, and the credits start, and they all get like number one billing, even though they're just in the first scene. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a great way to set the tone of this movie. Um, they really don't give a fuck. What did you guys think of, like, the, the humor of this movie? Oh, it's so corny, but I love it. It's yeah. the kind of thing that I think I would find more frustrating if this wasn't, like, a hyper-violent movie about Santa Claus killing people. It's got that same kind of thing that Thanks Killing has. Yeah. I don't think it does it to quite the same effect that Thanks Killing does, but just, like, the premise alone is just so good. Evil, evil Bill Goldberg Santa. I also think it's it's funny that 
out of all of the wrestlers they could have gotten to play Santa, they got like the most Jewish wrestler they possibly could. <laughs> I think that was a very good, a very good call. Yeah, and I mean, fuck, Bill Goldberg's great in this role. I don't think I would trust him as a serious actor. No, no. But uh, but he's really perfect for just big buff bad Santa. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, I I kind of agree with you with the Thanksgiving comparison. The weird thing is, I feel like this movie is less self-aware, even though it has bad jokes. I well, see. Feel this like... reminded me more of something like Mother's Day in terms of its sort of production and delivery. Well, it certainly seems to have a bigger budget than a lot of the other sort of. <clears throat> I mean, certainly more than Thanksgiving, right, or anything like that. It, it has a sleekness to it. It. Uh, I don't know. It, it. It changes it for me. It feels like it's still trying to to be uh it's not trying to get too crass i guess sure it it feels goofy without ever becoming vulgar I well think. i mean certainly more than what like bill goldberg is 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 a mess but same thing in in mother's day i mean she's kathleen turner she's got a very foul mouth throughout the movie oh you mean a uh, serial mom Oh yeah, Serial Mom. Sorry, sorry. Yep, yeah, I meant Serial Mom, not Mother's Day. Okay, yeah, no, I was, I was a little bit confused, but no, that's straight okay, thing right. for me. Yeah, no, I, Serial I, Mom's. I, I, I agree with you. I think that's a good comparison. I don't know if I agree that this film never gets really vulgar, and I don't just mean I don't mean that in terms of language. I'm thinking specifically of when Santa goes to the strip club. Oh yeah, but even then, it's still n- nothing. No, like body parts exploding or anything of that okay that sure. nature yeah. right you know people are getting stabbed and that that scene is pretty great when he walks in yeah. there and he ho, fucking ho ho <laughs> <laughs> and when he fucking uh valet parks his sleigh holy shit yeah. right and also when he when he goes in there and he he, he grabs one of the strippers because they're they're right under a mistletoe and then this uh, this guy comes up to try and fight him. These other two dudes, they grab like a shovel and uh, and a fucking pickaxe or Which something. Are the... just conveniently like hanging on the wall. Right? Above are those the bar. Their, those are their actual weapons if someone ever causes trouble in the. Club. I mean, hey, have you ever been hit with a shovel? It's pretty effective. No shit, it hurts. You're right, it does. That's a fucking great scene yeah. when he goes to the strip club and at, when he uh, pulls one of the poles down and starts like stabbing people with the stripper oh, pole yeah. oh my and then God. he hands it to the guy and like sticks it up in a in like a light on the ceiling yeah. and it electrocutes him before he grabs it he like gets spray and <laughs> sprays the pole down so even, though, right. even though he's wearing gloves he takes the time <laughs> to stop and wipe down the stripper pole before he grabs it and starts it's killing all about people cleanliness. With it. he's all about cleanliness i would probably wouldn't want to touch that pole either one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that while the uh the a lot of the great parts of this film do come from Santa causing havoc is that the story also does revolve around this teenager this yes. kid that uh has a has a grandfather who's a kook that uh believes in Santa being the son of the devil and so everyone in town thinks he's a nut job he works over at this butcher shop with this uh the, the, bo- the boy does not his grandfather no yeah yeah i me- i meant the boy and his uh, it was owned by a jewish uh a jewish guy who they 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 seem to make very odd points about it throughout the uh throughout the film and uh he also has a love interest the other girl that works at uh 
I will say their relationship is one of the most confusing things in this movie to me. <laughs> yeah, because like she's obviously all about it, but he is so unnecessarily like rude to her. Yeah. He's just such an asshole. Yeah, like she offers to give him a ride home and he's just on like his little electric scooter and he's basically just like fuck off and he doesn't say that. And she's just she comes over and brings him like a gift, like a little transformer action oh, figure. <laughs> That's right. That's it. Cuz he said he wanted an Optimus Prime as a kid but he never got one so that's why he hates Christmas or something and it's it's in the shape of a gun when he he grabs it he says uh, just like a lot of movies it seems from early 2000s era they're very okay with using like using a lot of words that aren't PC he says uh, I don't mean to be rude but are you fucking retarded (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, because he thinks he's given or she's given him uh, like just, a, a handgun. Yeah, yeah, just a gun. He and then know she that it's a transformer. and then she takes it and transforms it because her father is like an NRA nut, and so he has a bunch of guns, and she's been like trained to shoot and kill things from like a, a young age. So she definitely uh, becomes quite an asset later in the movie when they're being chased by uh, Santa Berg. Yes, yeah, Santa Berg, and she's got the skills to try and take him down. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, I'd say she's probably the real hero of this movie. Because hey, the guy's he's terrible. <laughs> yeah. He sucks, and he's utterly useless, too. But yes, his, uh, his grandfather is an eccentric inventor who has built a... Uh, Santa-proof bunker in their basement. <laughs> oh my god, that's <laughs> Which great. turns out to not be Santa-proof at all, because Santa literally just punches through the door. He had, he had planned for that, though. He had a secret exit within his secret bunker. Right, that goes out to the garage. Um, and uh, he, he built, like, contraptions to, like, keep Santa out. Yes. He's kind of seen as the nut of the, uh, the township for a while. Yeah, there's there's not a whole lot to this movie in terms of plot, which is fine. It doesn't need a, an overly complicated story. The only time it, it definitely starts to get a little bit convoluted is towards the end after uh, Santa kills the boy's grandfather. That's who um, we find out is... Spoilers! Just uh, turn off now if you don't want to know, but that the angel... That we see during the uh, the flashback story for Santa is actually the boy's grandfather. Yes. Yeah. Well, we should explain the flashback story a little bit. They play like sh- uh, curling. No, they're curling. Yeah, they're curling. curling. Right. Yeah. Right. That's that's the. Well, bet. it's like a weird version of curling where there's a hole in the middle instead of like just a. Well, yeah, instead of something marked on the ice, yeah. but it's still the same. You have to get it as close to the the middle or the hole as possible without it going in the hole. But yes, they, they back in like, uh, I guess, if it's a thousand years ago, back in the year a thousand and five, they played a, a curling game. If he won, then... The angel had to go down to hell and spend forever in eternal punishment. And if Santa lost, then he had to deliver toys for a thousand years and bring 
good cheer. Do you want to talk about the the style of this flashback? Yeah, so it's done in all of like a Rankin Bass style, which is like the company who did, you know, Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the year that Santa Claus uh Never showed up, whatever it's I called. Don't, yeah, uh, uh, the year without a Santa Claus. Um, but it's all those like marionette looking characters. Yeah, kind of like claymation, very distinctive style. Yes, I think for this movie, it's a great touch. Yeah, and it's it's that little bit of production value where they didn't need to spend it, but it adds so much since they. Take yeah, the time because to do it. it's it gives you this this brief little uh, reprieve from the live action killing and stuff. It's like it's it's almost like a little Christmas special in the middle. You know, it's it's yeah. cute. You know, it's charming. Even though it's about an angel playing uh, a game of curling with a demon who sprays fire out of his mouth when he loses. <laughs> but uh, I thought that part was a really nice little touch. Yeah. In other movies, I think that kind of shit would frustrate me. But for this movie, since it is a Christmas movie, it's nice to add that touch of nostalgia. Yeah. The one thing I'll say about the whole uh, script is they don't really take too many tangents they kind of it's very it's pretty it, focused yeah very focused everything connects well it's a short much. movie too i think yeah. it's just a little under 90 minutes isn't it uh-huh mm-hmm. so it uh uses its time well enough it doesn't dilly dally high body count there are 32 deaths in this 80 minute mm. movie very nice. Most of them from the strip club, I bet, though. Yes, yeah, yeah. that definitely is the scene with the largest body count. Oh, let's talk about uh, uh, Santa's sleigh uh, and his and the, the bison that pulls Oh, God, that, that was great. Instead of, instead of having uh, a bunch of reindeer, his sleigh is just pulled by one very large white bison with uh, glowing red eyes. I also love, before we get too much into that, how early in the film... Just like in the background all the time, you'll just see like the sleigh like flying across the sky and it's like trailing fire yeah. and shit. And it's just <laughs> sort of there. Yeah. Well, the the thing I love about this is I watched a little bit of behind the scenes stuff at one point because this is one of my favorite Christmas movies. It's a very good one. But uh, they actually got a real bison. Yes. And like hung it from like a crane. Just to get those shots behind green screen. I I just have to laugh at how absurd that is because the bison are like <laughs> a ton, a yes, literal a very, metric ton. A very heavy animal. And they're just hanging it even though they could have easily done, you know, like a claymation or like a CGI thing they they went all out on this and I I have to give them props for that it's pretty funny yeah and uh yeah there's there's some behind the scenes bloopers during the credits which is great I wish more movies would still do that but uh it's it's apparent they definitely had some uh some trouble getting that bison to behave <laughs> Which uh, is is great, and I also love that, yeah, it's just a, a big fucking bison instead of a whole team of reindeer. And the the, the bison at, at the strip club scene eats the valet attendant. Yeah. When he co- when Santa comes back out after killing everybody, the, the bison just, like, coughs up the dude's hat. I thought that was really funny, yeah. too. One of my favorite characters in this movie was the, uh, the, the preacher. 
Yes. Who, in the first scene we see him, he's like giving a sermon to his congregation and asking for donations for the Christmas season. But he's like, only bills, no coins. I like, see a lot of coins coming in. And then he takes the donate. He wants the bills because he takes it to the strip club afterwards. He didn't yeah. want to be throwing coins at the strippers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very funny too. And he gets away before getting killed at the strip club. But he uh gives a eulogy for all the strippers afterwards and they all have uh really bad innuendo names. Yes, like, like uh, uh Dixie Wrecked. Oh uh, god, right, a testicular Noth. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny when he's giving the eulogy. He's listing all of their names, and like after every name, he just sort of like looks up and like looks up to see <laughs> if the congregation has noticed. Uh, oh man, yeah, it's just like little things like that that are just so good. Yeah, it's cheap humor, but yes. it absolutely works in a movie like this. Yes, I so. I think this style of humor is very conducive to a, a movie like this, like a holiday-themed slasher movie. Yeah. I don't think it would work for as well for other things, but um, yeah, it does remind me in a lot of ways of Serial Mom, too. It's got that same kind of humor. I think it's a more refined in Serial Mom, but it's the same kind of corny schlock that is just so enjoyable. Well, should we uh, just jump into ratings, give some final thoughts? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I would probably give this a four out of five. Um, It's so funny. Really focused screenplay. Goldberg is great in it. I just want to emphasize, like, Goldberg steals the show with this one. Absolutely. He's really funny. He's a lot of great one-liners. It's a dumb movie. It kind of has lost a little bit of charm on repeat viewings, but not by much. It's still very entertaining. Great Christmas movie. Worth checking out. Yeah. Um, I know. I agree. I'm going to say four out of five, too. Um, it, it is a little dated at times. It's very uh, much a early 2000s film, but considering its subject matter, uh, that doesn't really do too much to take away from it. Like you said, Goldberg really carries this. I don't care too much about most of the other characters. The weird, like, false romance between the two teens that does end up, like, coming together at the end is kind of dumb. The, the the last line for them before they kiss is amazing, though. She's like, you hit like a girl, and he's like, you kiss like a guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. That is good. And also, I don't care too much for his grandpa being the angel that uh, put Santa away the first time. That's why Santa comes for them, because he's getting his revenge. Uh, but, you know, all that stuff's easy to brush aside uh, as soon as Goldberg gets on screen. Uh, so yeah, four out of five for me. Yeah, it's a it's a goofy movie, and I think I can only rate it so high because of that. I think that it is good for what it is trying to do, just to make a slasher film with Santa Claus. And so for me, I'm going to give it a three out of five, because I still enjoyed it. What it delivers is good, but it doesn't deliver a whole lot to me anyway. So three All out right. of five for me. So that gives us an average rating of 3.6 pods for Santa Slay. 
Okay, so next we're going to be talking about one of my favorite just horror movies in general, Christmas aside. Uh, We're talking about the original Black Christmas from 1974, directed by Bob Clark, who also did A Christmas Story. So I guess uh, Christmas was just sort of his thing for a while. This is... I think maybe one of the earliest examples of like a true slasher that sort of kickstarted the slasher craze of the of the late 70s and 80s. Not as early as like Psycho, but this came out the same year as the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The two of those in the same year must have been a fucking tour de force, man. That would have been a good year to be a moviegoer and a horror fan. This film is about a uh, sorority house. In a uh, small college town at Christmas time, everyone's getting ready to leave and go home for Christmas, and an escaped mental patient ends up hiding in the house in the attic, and he goes on a killing spree. Well, um, I know in the because uh, I've I've seen the remake of this movie. It was released in two thousand five. Horrible film. <laughs> they they make that point. He's an escape mental patient, but I don't know if they actually give. The I don't. I don't think they ever their identity in this movie. I don't yeah. think they ever explicitly say it, but the way he behaves, I think. Well, yeah, he's a deranged it. man. He's obviously absolutely insane because as he's living in the house, he starts calling. Uh, the other phones in the house and just delivering these really uh, very creepy, uh, disturbing phone calls to these young women. He's obviously suffering from uh, multiple personality disorder because he does all of these different voices. He pretends to be men and women. He has conversations and arguments with himself. Just absolute insanity used to really, really good effect. This is like the first instance of the call coming from inside the house, you know, that has become such a such a horror trope at this point. Yeah, and I want to. Uh, it's a nice contrast to with uh, a character like Michael Myers in Halloween, which John Carpenter originally wanted to do a sequel to Black Christmas. Right. Where with Michael Myers, we know his backstory, but he's so uh, emotionalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever we see him on screen, we don't know how to read his behavior. Where in this, we don't know the backstory of this guy, but we get a lot of time just hearing his rantings and ravings, which is. Something I, I don't see a lot. Most of the time, a uh, <laughs> with the exception of Freddy Krueger qu- cracking wise all the time. Jason Voorhees is also a silent killer. Leatherface might groan and moan, but certainly nothing as loud as what uh, what the killer in this movie does. It's really so great how they how they build up the killer in this movie because even by the end of it, you still don't know shit about him. You know, but you get sort of like into his psyche so much just through these phone calls and hearing his his babbling and shrieking, you know, it really does make him monstrous because even by the end of the movie, you never see him. You never see what he looks like. The most you get is uh, uh, seeing like his eye as he's peering out from uh, a closet or something He's he's never fully on screen, so even by the end of it, he's still just this uh, faceless madman. Earlier in the movie, they kind of set up one of the most obvious red herrings in any movie. Oh, yes. With uh, the piano player 
who plays this like modern free jazz piano while sweating profusely. <laughs> yeah, he is very into it, playing this very bad music. He's well, I the- think all that is just he's playing poorly because he's uh, the boyfriend of one of the sorority sisters. Yes, who- the the main character. Jess, I think is her name, yeah? I believe so, yeah. And she discovers that she's pregnant and wants to have an abortion while the pianist doesn't want her to have the abortion, and so that starts to drive him him mad, and that's all before he has that concert, which I think is why it's... And in a very uh, extended scene, we see him just completely fail and just perform such an awful piece on the piano where he's just sliding his fingers around but all of it's at a key and just well sort of the, the thing is like you you can't tell if it's just him doing a bad performance or if he's oh, i just... think it's meant to be a bad performance that he's supposed to be just stressed out because of uh yes but you yeah. can't you can't tell how much of it is just is him performing poorly and how much of it is just the the piece of music itself because it's obviously like you know uh mid to late 20th century like modern piano like it's it's very like out there you know uh-huh. it's it's uh it's very uh, John Cage kind of thing. Sure. Yes, yeah. It's yeah. A, it was an experimental piece. That yes, doing, and, sure. but <laughs> holy shit, that scene is excellent, though, because he's just like, he's got this really high turtleneck on, this really ugly 70s blazer, and he's just like sweating profusely, and his face is twitching, and he's just like smashing the keys, and it keeps cutting back to the, the people who are like uh, judging his performance, and they're just like totally straight fans. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's a thing in this movie as like for as serious of a movie as it is, there's definitely still uh comedic moments that don't feel out of place. Yeah. Oh, well for me, definitely. I think a lot of them do feel jarring because you have these moments of intensity with the killer. Uh another thing it does is it uh, has POV of the killer as he's lurking around the house. Yes. And a lot of those moments are are darker they're uh they're creepy and then it's it's levitied by these moments where the, there's this police officer who's just sort of the goofball that they have in this film he's always messing stuff up getting getting the run around because he doesn't get shit and uh those are sprinkled in and stop the film the serial killer film that's going on and then it's just uh it seems like they're taking a break for that comedy rather than it, it being sprinkled in. Well. But I, I still thought they were funny moments, but feel wild in comparison to all of the other things. I think occur. it I think it works, though. Like there's it. It's definitely tonally different, but it doesn't take me out of the movie enough to, like, hamper my enjoyment of it. I Maybe it's because the moment the these funny moments are so well written and so well executed yes well they're yeah they are well done but it's but it's i i don't feel at any point like i'm watching a different movie it feels more like there's just a welcome moment of of lightness like being able to take a breath after some really dark shit because for me it's not a different film either it just felt a bit inconsistent with the tone they keep for other scenes well the film is such a slow burn yeah, like the, the pacing is pretty deliberate. So I feel like sprinkling in the humor kind of helped break that up from feeling too slow while it's, keeping the same pacing. 
It's so. like uh, it's like coming up for air at a certain point. It's like because especially for for a film from the seventies, like this movie is when it's dark, like it's very very dark. Yeah. It's very like creepy and disturbing and i think the those little moments of comedy at least for me they're refreshing not that i don't like spending time with this uh madman but it it does feel like good to get away from that a little while you know every now and then whereas opposed to something like uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is also one of my favorite horror movies, when that one starts to pick up steam, like, it stays bleak, it stays dark, and it's it's a nasty, nasty film, you know? Whereas this, you have, uh, it, it goes up and down and up and down, but not not in a bad way, at least for me. I It didn't bother me too much. In the spirit of some of these lighter moments, should we talk about the, the house mother at the sorority house? Oh, God, yeah. that's right. Her hidden booze stash. In every single room of the house. Yeah, the first moment we see is she's running, uh, she has a bottle hidden in a book, and then it just becomes more and more elaborate every single time we yeah. see her. Like, there's one hidden... In the uh, in the toilet, in the, in the, yeah, the in the tank, <laughs> yeah. tied onto a string. Ugh. Yeah, which, why, why would you put it in there? You're you're getting your mouth around some toilet water. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Every every room of the house she's in, she's got a, a, a little bottle of sherry stashed away. I think, and maybe this is kind of sad, but the, all the alcoholic characters in this movie are really well portrayed, and I think it's because Bob Clark was like severe alcoholic. He ended up dying from uh, from his alcohol abuse later later on in the I think two thousand seven was when he died. Yeah, well, he was probably hitting the sauce hard in those days. Very, he was that's awesome. the only way you can direct Karate Dog. Karate Dog. <laughs> no, that's so fucking weird to me. This movie is so amazing, and in his later life he brought us such trash films as baby geniuses one and two one and, and two and two and the karate dog which was the last film he ever made uh, that's that's neither here nor there at least his legacy will always have black christmas because and it, and a christmas story and it's a christmas, cool and a it's christmas like story he's got holiday movies for both sides of the christmas uh spirit man that you have the ones who want to watch something nice and family friendly schlocky you got a christmas story for that but if you're in the mood for something darker you're in the mood for just something scary then you got black christmas just like with uh killing you got you got your other side so you can you can enjoy something either way you want and i think it's pretty impressive what bob clark does in this movie it feels unlike a lot of other slasher films there's a lot of attention put to these characters oh yeah and not making you just wait for them to die. You actually, I mean, sure. We got uh, Margot Kidder. She plays um, one of the more loudmouth members of the sorority. Is she she's Barb? one of those. Barb is the name. She's right? my she's my yeah. favorite. She's yeah, my favorite she, character. She has a scene. She's uh, drunk, wasted, and she's just like making an ass of herself in front of everyone in the dining room. And 
Well, Those, it, especially in front of the father of the first girl to be killed, they they haven't found her body. The killer is keeping it up in the attic and in a rocking chair and talking to it. He keeps calling it Agnes, which is I think supposed to be his uh, his sister. But yeah, the the girl's father comes down and he's like searching for her, and he's staying in the house and he's very uh, proper, straight edge. Uh, even says i i didn't send my daughter to this school so she could be drinking and picking up boys uh so he's very out of his element around these uh these sort of party hardy sorority girls but to go back to the scene that eugene is talking about when barb gets really plastered at the dinner table and is making a fool of herself in front of uh in front of this guy and starts talking about how there's uh, there's a species of turtle that fucks for three days straight. <laughs> and, and she's like, I'm lucky if I can get three minutes. <laughs> and just shit like that. It's so fucking funny. And then she she goes off on how, like, I, know, I see the way you, like, you people look at me. Like, you don't take me seriously. You think I'm just like... Uh, just a, a you know drop out like drunk and uh i think that's probably the point you're getting to eugene about these characters being like really more they're they're three-dimensional right that they 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 have time put into them so that they don't feel uh just like oh you got the you got the 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 snappy bitchy character you got the the sweetheart girl like all of these characters really do feel they're not they're not archetypes like real, they're right. real people you know even even characters like the uh like like the buffoony cop who we talked about earlier like he even feels like a real person you know the detectives feel like real people all of these characters like you said, they're not just like an archetype, totally surface right. level. Even the even the boyfriend who goes nuts after learning about the pregnancy, he he's given enough motivation so that when he starts to become creepier in the film, as as we mentioned, one of the red herrings, we're supposed to believe that he might be the one committing these murders. He's given proper motivation that we don't. Just feel like it comes out of left field. It it, it builds up and uh, right. Yeah. You I, like it's it's obviously a red herring, but at the same time, you can still sort of see how yeah, like maybe he is the killer. You know, like or maybe... that he might be driven to to do something, which is 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 a good way to create another sort of tension in the film because. Even if he isn't the murderer himself, he, 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 he's a very intense force. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And, and he provides an additional conflict for uh, Jess as the main character who uh, you know is trying to help find her friend who she doesn't know is dead in the attic. And then other people start dying. And so she's trying to deal with that. And at the same time, she's got this crazy boyfriend who keeps uh, trying to convince her to... Uh, not get the abortion, you know? All of these characters are very nuanced, and I think that's something that this movie has going for it really well, because you actually do care about them, and you don't just want them to die. I was I was uh, legit disappointed when Barb died first time I saw this movie, because like I said, she's my favorite. Yes, she's my yeah, favorite and uh, again, hey, spoilers for a 40-year-old movie, but <laughs> none of these sorority sisters make it out alive, which I thought also just a very bold move that usually in a movie like this, you'd have one person left over, the survivor that was able well, to overcome. Jess does survive, but 
the the ending implies that she probably will not for very yeah. long. Well, yes, because throughout the movie, he calls the sorority house after he's committed a murder. And in this final scene, well, as we mentioned, she finds out that the killer is inside the house the entire time. And she... Well, because, the, yes, the police tap the phones in the house and uh, and trace the call. Yes, we... in a very elaborate, where a man is literally down in, like, a call center trying to find out where the uh, the line is. And yeah, the to... most old school call center yeah, I've ever right. seen. <laughs> that's, how they, that's how you had to trace calls back in the day. Also, quick quick tangent did you did the the main detective guy remind you guys of ray liotta oh no not i kind of thought you know what you know what it is though it's not even so much that he looks like ray liotta it's just the really heavy eyeliner that he was wearing (laughs) that ray liotta always has i think that's 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 what really did it for me it's just the really (laughs) the really heavy dark eyeliner all things aside yes we find out the call is coming from inside the house Right, and after uh, she has an encounter with the killer, she flees in the basement, while, and her boyfriend breaks into the basement. She kills him, and as she's... Because uh, she left, thinks he's the killer, too, right. at this point. And everyone else does, too, the cops and all that, so they're not watching over her. There's a guy posted outside, but no one in her room. Well, the guy as, posted outside ends up having his throat cut. Well, no, at the end of the movie. Oh, okay, okay, at the end of the movie, yeah. That uh, when they all leave her alone, we find out that the killer is still in the attic because they haven't checked up there where they will find uh, the first girl who went missing and the the the, um, the house mother, I guess. that uh, I don't know what her role is. In yeah, the she's, the, she's the house mother. That she she gets killed with a hook that's hanging in the attic. Yeah, like and a, she's like just, a boat hook, I yeah, think. And she's just dangling over like the entrance of the attic, but they don't check up there. They would have found her very quick. That's like, yeah. that's like the only, I think, major plot hole in this movie is that nobody ever checks the attic. Yeah. And you'd think that even if the cops did think the boyfriend was the killer they knew he's been killing people in this house you'd think that they would do a complete sweep top to bottom but they don't and they just leave jess uh to sleep and rest off her uh her nightmarish experience in the house but alone and then we pan up to the attic and we see the killer uh who keeps calling himself billy uh and speaking in like a, a little child's voice See him up there rocking the first girl's dead uh, body in a rocking chair, talking to himself. Right, but then he he starts to head down the stairs, and we hear the telephone go off again, which I think is meant to imply that he he murdered her and then was was calling the Pro- house again. Probably yes. We don't see her die, and maybe she doesn't die in the actual movie, but it's yeah, he's still alive. He's still in the attic. And he's going to kill her. Right. So it's a it's a very it's a very bleak ending. One thing I do want to mention because this this is the sort of thing that people find in a lot of horror films the the flaws of character choices when you want someone to leave the house and they don't leave the house or to not turn that corner. This movie I think has one of the biggest offenses in that respect because. Right near the end, they find out the call is coming from in the house. 
the police officer calls Jess because she is now at this point, she doesn't know it, but she's the last uh, surviving member in the household. She still thinks and, her, her two friends are, are still alive and they've been stabbed to death with a uh, ceramic unicorn, yes. <laughs> which I thought was pretty great. She is told to just put the phone down and walk outside and she's not supposed to ask questions, but she does. The cop tells her. The killer is in the house. Leave. Don't go upstairs. Do not go up to him. And what does she do? She puts the phone down. She she goes upstairs. She goes upstairs. Immediately. And that's probably why she ends up, they don't catch the killer and why she ends up dying in the end. Because if she had just gone outside, the last 20 minutes would have been them trying to find the killer. Maybe they kill him. Maybe they don't. Maybe they accidentally kill the boyfriend because he's lurking around in the basement. But they could have tried to do something instead of making the worst decision that they could have made for this character. And that um, that started to hurt the movie for me a lot because I think everything else up to that point is well done. I mean, it's it was definitely a bad decision and you're you're just screaming at her like just go the fuck outside. Don't go upstairs. Go the fuck outside. But at the same time like Jess has been characterized as somebody who does care about her friends very much and I think it's supposed to be like she knows that there's danger but she doesn't know for sure that her friends are dead and she doesn't want to leave them in the house alone with the killer. So that's she what I mean it's it's still dumb and you still think like no just get out of the house let the cops handle it let the cops handle it but I think her conscience just won't let her leave her friends behind until she knows for sure. In that sense, it doesn't hurt the film for me long term. There's so many horror movies where I'm just like, why are you doing that, you stupid idiot? I, I don't know. It's It doesn't bother me terribly. Well, I think for me, if this is a film that predates a lot of those slasher films, then it's responsible for helping to lay a lot of the groundwork. And if that is true, then I think a lot of inspiration comes from Black Christmas in that you can make a character do something so incredibly dumb and it'll just be sort of accepted as... As just something to progress the story or some something about the character themselves that they have to go through. But it it was it was a needless thing that ended up just getting everyone yeah. killed. So I, I feel like it makes a little more sense in the this movie, but the trope itself has gone on to points that don't make sense. Right. You know. Yes. I just I'm seeing uh some interesting trivia this is uh this was elvis presley's favorite movie really and he would watch it and he would watch it every christmas time with his family Uh, and after and after his death they keep the tradition alive and elvis presley's family still watches black that is that is well as i said there there have got to be both sides people that want to watch this over a christmas story oh i would for sure yeah (laughs) i I would i I would much rather watch this this is definitely more in my wheelhouse didn't elvis do a christmas song I'm sure, yeah, Christmas. I'm sure that he must have or something. Boogie woogie Christmas. <laughs> Christmas in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's done something like that. I also saw that uh, the 
they used three different people to do all the 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 voices of the killer on the phone calls. The actor Nick Mancuso, who I think played the killer himself, uh, an unnamed actress, and Bob Clark himself, the director, did some of the voices oh, on, no on the phone calls. Uh, well, so, a lot uh, of those are pretty. That's those are the most deranged moments in the entire film, and oh, those yeah. actually succeed in unsettling you whereas Absolutely. in another movie it might just drag on you're like oh just let them scream into the the microphone let them do their thing but well and i think they, it's because they did use different people because the voices do sound different and you're supposed to believe that they're coming from one person and that makes it creepier that this one individual can do all of these different voices. So I think the decision, and to have a woman do some of them too, the decision to have three different people doing all of the voices, it really like gets you into this killer's head a little bit. Like He's really, really deranged. Like How many personalities are swimming around up there in his head, you know? I also wanted to mention that uh, I think that I found this film uh, very... Uh, very vulgar for its time, um, at least in in a lot of the dialogue. Like some of the phone calls, like for for 1974, like the killer is extremely foul mouthed and that is very true. very explicit. And I wonder, yeah. I wonder how uh, how it would have come across in the 70s. These days, we're used to you know all movies using any manner of explicit language. Right. Well, as I understand, this movie was decently successful. It made I it made so. its money back and more in the box office. More so. than anything, it's a cult classic. It's yes. not, it wasn't like a box office. No, huge I, I don't think it was until Halloween where that sort of slasher film really. Well, I, I don't know how much did the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre do box office wise uh, I'm uh, not sure off the top of my head I think it did pretty well um, so yeah it certainly still took a couple years for that kind of movie to become big people really looking for that sort of horror where it's it's grittier and this takes you to more uncomfortable places and I think I honestly I think this movie is is still kind of underrated in in terms of uh, the slasher genre it's not the first thing that comes to most people's heads when they think of horror from like the 70s and 80s you know there's something great about it the formula is almost boiled down with the fact that we don't know the backstory for the slasher you could sort of place in anyone or anything and it has all of the uh, the mechanics of a slasher film right is just provides a great template for what you want from it you got the mystery and then well i mean the the character himself and it was really probably the first horror film that gives you so much of the killer's uh, first person perspective the the POV you know and the and the heavy mouth breathing that we hear in and see in Halloween too it's the same it's the exact same thing it's like it's obvious that John Carpenter was heavily inspired by this movie yeah i mean you you ask people like Oh, what 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 are some of your favorite slasher movies? And they'll be like, Oh, Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street or uh, Friday the Thirteenth. And I feel like uh, I feel like Black Christmas is in that way definitely kind of underrated. And I would say if you have not seen this movie, you absolutely need to see this movie. It's probably one of my top five favorite horror movies of all time, honestly. No, I'd have to agree that it's a movie worth checking out, especially if you are a horror fan. Or if you're just looking for a good horror movie, this is definitely, this is something that succeeds 
and can be scary. And it does have moments of humor, which I, I do think work, if not at the um, at the cost of ruining some of the, the tone that they set with other scenes. Overall, yeah, definitely something that should be watched just to see where the genre started and where a lot of the things we see in those movies from the decades on what uh, what this movie did to help lay the groundwork. Yeah. Shall we get into ratings? Yeah, let's no? do it. Why yeah. don't you start? Well, for me, this is a pretty well-constructed film, and it was a pretty low budget as well. Mm-hmm. So being done very well, I, I I don't think it's a it's a boring film visually either. I think that it's it's all shot well. All the performances are good, and besides that ending that I feel just betrays so much of all of the things that they laid out before, and I wish they could have gone a different way. Uh, Great film all around. I'm going to have to give it a four out of five. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to give this a perfect five. I don't know. Nothing in this movie bothers me in in a lasting sort of effect. Uh, The the stupid decision to remain in the house aside, I I think it's really well-constructed. I love the moments of humor. Uh, mixed with the the really really dark shit, um, the acting is really good. The cinematography is good. The editing is good. The direction is good. It's just across the board a, a great great film. So uh, solid five from me. And I'm gonna give this a four and a half. Um, I think it's a slow burn, but it's tense throughout. The uh, the kills in it are tense and legitimately creepy very creative as well the phone calls are great i love how bleak the ending is i would definitely recommend checking this out for uh christmas time if you like something a little bleaker for yeah for the holiday season watch this either late at night or before your christmas dinner because it is a slow burn so i don't want anyone to fall asleep because it's it's worth watching all the way through and staying focused too. It's so. a slow burn, but I would not say that it's ever boring. I don't think it's it would be too difficult to to stay focused through. I guess less people will be eating turkey than Thanksgiving time. That's true. Yeah, worth checking out for sure. All right, so that gives us an average rating of four point five pods, uh, which is fine with me. And now. Let's move on to our final film. Eugene, tell us about Krampus. Uh, I will tell you about Krampus. This came out in 2015. This is also directed by the same director of Trick or Treat, which mm-hmm. is uh, it's an anthology film about Halloween. Uh, I have not seen the whole thing, but what I have seen, it was really good. It's it's certainly uh, a good Halloween film. Yeah, Trick or Treat is great. Uh, Michael Doherty is the director's Michael name. Michael Doherty, that's right. And this film revolves around a family meeting together for Christmas. They meet up about three days before. All of them just seem like generally unlikable people. I mean, the mother and father of it, played by Adam Scott and... Oh, God, I forget the name of the other actress. I only uh, recognize Adam Scott and uh, David... Keckner. David Keckner, who plays the uh, brother-in-law of... Tony Collette is the... Is the Tony is, Collette. Tony Collette is the mother, Is right? the mother, yes. They're both just 
they're, they're just both average parents. They, the, the real bad characters all come from the, the children and the, the sister, the cousins that visit and bring their shitty little kids and their whole, uh, bradish white trash attitude into Adam Scott's nice home. Yes, and Tony Collette's sister, uh, who's David Keckner's wife, is uh, Alison. Oh, Tolman Alison Tolman. That's from, right from uh, Fargo. I, from season yes, one of Fargo. How could I yep. forget? She's she's great in that. The whole movie just begins with them trying to get along with each other to no avail. The yeah son of Adam Scott still believes in Santa Claus and. The other children find his letter, and they read it. and To mock him. Yes, to mock him. He gets upset. After that, um, an evil force begins to move in to this uh, this hometown. A Krampus. blizzard. A yes. blizzard blows in. A blizzard blows in, and within it, these creatures, and we find out that the creature is none other than Krampus, the shadow of Santa, who takes people into the underworld, him and his minions. It doesn't matter if you've been naughty or nice. He brings punishment yes. instead of joy. Exactly. <laughs> so so basically, yeah, it's, if, if you're ungrateful at Christmas time, Krampus comes and drags you to hell. That's the setup for the movie uh, right there. It is a horror comedy. I don't think there's really any uh, disagreements on that. No, it definitely has plenty of comedic yeah, aspects. And this is a movie, funny. I think... It, and you have all these comedic actors, too, yes, like right. Adam Scott and David Koechner. Even though they, they're relatively serious as characters in the movie, the comedy comes from, for the most part, outside of them. Right. Yeah. And this movie, I think more than Black Christmas, is able to move through that line between the horror and comedy. It finds a nice balance between it. Another thing, this is a PG-13 movie, which, to me, at at a certain point through the film, did you guys feel like this could be geared towards kids at all? Certainly not like little children, but like like preteen age children because there's a lot of focus put on the the son on of the Adam kids. Scott. Yes, I suppose so. Um, that is a thing that I that I think overall kind of hurts the film is that it is only PG thirteen and for something like this I think they could have uh, reached greater heights if they had been uninhibited by that and had been able to do more uh, more blood and gore and stuff I... although it's it's hard because there's a lot of uh, kids in this movie and you can't have like very graphic child death no so i which i so i get that that's a thing but right unless you're darren aronofsky you should, <laughs> <laughs> you should try and stray away from child mutilation i almost feel like they shot this intending for it to be rated r and then cut it down to PG-13? I think you could be right. I think we actually had a conversation about this when we went to see this movie in theaters a couple of years ago. Yeah, because there's some moments where it's very graphic and dark. Like, you do have a kid being eaten. Yes, by a, by a giant jack-in-the-box monster. Yeah. Oh, yes, and, all, all the monsters in this movie, uh, are, they look great. That is, that's yeah. one thing I want to say off the bat. All of the except little for minions. One, except for one, and I'll get into that later. Okay. We can we can talk about that later. Um, the the jack-in-the-box, though, they, they cut, like, a weird framing for it that, like, cuts off, like, half of its mouth in the shot. Um, you see like half of it, but the bottom half is cut off. And I'm guessing uh, they had like 
like a leg of one of the kids in there, and they cut it out to Could keep be. the PG thirteen rating. There were other moments in it where I felt, you know, like they probably went a little darker with it, but had to cut it out a little bit for the PG thirteen rating. Oh no, wait! I'm actually, I'm actually seeing it. They couldn't actually get this movie greenlit until they agreed to PG-13. Really? Yes. They wanted to do it as an R-rated film, but considering uh, controversy surrounding other R-rated horror movies, it says here Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Black Christmas, that those kinds of movies are hard to sell. So they were not going to greenlight this film to even be made until they agreed, until Legendary Pictures agreed to do PG-13. Well, now that controversy that feels like a studio well, Black, thing. Black although. Christmas, Black Christmas uh when it was initially aired on TV got pulled because it was deemed to be uh too dark. Stuff like that. Fucking pussies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I agree. Uh something that I'm also seeing now that I'm looking at some trivia for this film is it was released on December 4th to coincide with Krampusnacht, a traditional Austrian festival held on December 5th that celebrates the Krampus coming to punish naughty children. Oh, very cool. So, right. they, so they waited to release it until then. So I think that's a pretty nice touch. I dig that. I, did, I thought this movie was, was pretty good all the way through. Yeah. Certainly it's a, it's a simple premise right there, this family trying to survive... Krampus and his minions trying to take them to the underworld, and from there, it's just uh, a fun movie. I gotta say, yeah, it is. Through it, uh, I, I really love how it starts with uh, just this extended slow mo sequence of uh, Christmas shoppers just like running each other over, hitting each other oh, to yes. grab stuff off the shelves. I I love that it sets the tone. Like, man. Christmas kind of fucking sucks sometimes. I think that's kind of that's kind of the whole setup for this movie. That's and true. and also then just like the the greedier selfishness behind the holiday yes. now and yeah. all those sorts of things. And that's I think it's I think it's something that you don't get in a ton of Christmas movies, uh, especially because like yeah, Christmas is supposed to be like a really nice, joyful time of year. And, you know, sometimes it's it's more stressful than it is relaxing. I know plenty of times uh, when I was growing up, like, just trying to arrange everything for just for the day, you know, would really stress my mom out. And especially if you have family coming in from out of town and if your family doesn't get along and stuff like that, it's uh, and Christmas can be a really stressful time of year. And I think they yeah. do a really good job of tapping into that as the setup for this movie to make this little boy uh, so bitter that he uh, accidentally summons Krampus. Yes, right. <laughs> well, and we learn about Krampus because, of course, like any good horror movie, they have the elder, the grandmother that knows the history behind Krampus. She because was she's actually German. yes, and she actually personally also evoked Krampus when she was a little girl and caused him to steal away her entire family and uh, the town she lived in. I will say her character frustrated me a little bit just in the fact that uh, at a certain point, because the whole movie she's speaking German, and only the little boy and uh, Adam Scott understand her, 
but every but she understands English, and then to tell her story, she conveniently switches to English, so the yes. entire family uh, knows. And then after that, she doesn't speak English anymore. She goes back to, to only speaking German. She does that story on the road. She does a lot of open mic nights. She's uh, she doesn't actually speak English. She's just memorized that story, that specific story in English, so she can tell it. But that's the only English she knows. Oh, and it's weird too, because in the beginning they have subtitles for her whenever she speaks, and then later on in the film they're just gone, and the little kid translates, translates. for the other family members and for us too, the audience. Which that, seems that kind of weird. inconsistency was a little yeah. bit frustrating right. for me. I mean, otherwise, hey, that's not the. This isn't a German English language course film, so no, 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 those no, no, weren't yeah. huge issues. Every everything else aside, I think as I mentioned, the I loved the um, the the monsters they created. I want to know which one you thought really was. Uh, uh, it it was Krampus himself. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because yeah. when he, he finally he looks, see him, he looks real bad. Yeah, because throughout. Bad. The the movie all we ever see him is is in shadows or silhouettes. Well, yeah, of him. he's in a he's a you know big monster in a in a hooded cloak and he's got these enormous like goat horns and he has goat hooves. I mean, I really like the the first reveal where uh, the Adam Scott's daughter uh, walk goes out in the blizzard because she can't get in touch with her boyfriend who lives down the street, so she's trying to go check on him. And she sees the cramp like Krampus on the roof of the house, and he like oh yeah leaps that was from, good from yeah. house to house, and he's like chasing her. I thought that was great. Yeah, but when you see him up close, he's he's just, it looks he, he looks like he Snoke. looks bad. He looks bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it 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 looks like a cheap plastic the mask. mask. Yeah, the face latex he, he, mask. He has he has like a like a normal Santa Claus face, just like a human face with a long beard and. And his mouth is, like, permanently open. Here's the thing, though, and I this is something I want to ask you because it, it totally depends on how I feel about the design of this creature. Do you think that that is supposed to be his actual face or do you think it's supposed to be a mask hiding his real face uh, I, I just assumed it as his regular face. I, yeah, I, did, I did, too, but there's a couple of shots, especially when he like opens the portal to hell and he's getting ready to drag them all in where you see his face and it looks like the like there's a different skin tone like around the eyes like it is like an actual mask it's only for a couple of shots and that's the only thing that made me think about it because if it is supposed to be like a real mask like hiding what Krampus actually looks like then I can forgive it if we're supposed to buy that that's what he actually looks like it looks like garbage I think we're supposed to buy it as yeah I think that's a bad excuse for a bad movie I, think, I kind of think so I kind of think so too I'm just I the the design of everything else in this movie is so good that I guess I'm just trying to explain away the bad looking. <laughs> right. they, they spent all their budget on the CG uh, gingerbread man. I will <laughs> and couldn't spend it on anything else. I so. will say I love that like only the gingerbread men are CG. Everything else is makeup. That's yeah. true. Yeah, on... everything else is makeup and puppetry. Right. Yeah. Which I, I loved all those puppets. And that's yeah. something that you don't in the, for the for a movie that came out in 2015. That's something that you almost never see like the only cg for the most part in this movie is when krampus is jumping from roof to roof and when his little gingerbread men attack uh david keckner 
Which I loved. I, I think that's one of the best uses of CG. Oh, yeah. Well, I I don't have a problem with it for murderous little gingerbread men. They get the nail gun and <laughs> yeah. they start shooting at him. And then his dog ends up saving him at the end. By oh, eating, God, yeah, by by eating, eating one, one of the... the... Wow. Yeah. yeah, that stuff is great. And, like, when... Krampus's sleigh when we see his sleigh and it's got like the like demon horses or whatever like those are obviously practical effects uh the jack in the box is practical his little uh twisted versions of elves are practical the the bear the with the with like the really oh, nasty yeah. mouth the yes, teddy that's right. bear yeah. that's practical the angel puppet is practical the practical effects of this movie are great and it all looks so good and that's why I have such a problem with how bad Krampus yeah. looks that's yeah, the only really... that's the only shit that takes me out of it it's like the the you think they could have at least had some money for the for the mask to move some you know <laughs> for the face to move just it's, keep it in darkness if it looks do, that yeah, bad or just do that you don't have to show krampus's face no it looks so terrible yeah Ugh, so like that's a, that's my only that's my only like problem with this movie also um, during the grandmother's story, they they do uh, an animated uh, sequence, sort of like in Santa's sleigh, but it's much more like a like a fucking Pixar animation. Yes. It's got yeah. it's got less of the charm to it. Well, because so it bothers it's me more. it's supposed to look like stop motion, but I'm pretty sure that was computer generated. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Awesome. No, it absolutely is. Yeah, they were trying to do the Rankin and Bass thing, but. It didn't look like marionettes. Honestly, it just looks like it's poorly rendered or something. It just looks like a cutscene from a... Like, the the idea of doing that kind of sequence doesn't bother me, because they pulled it off in Santa's sleigh, and this is a Christmas movie, so they can do it. But if you're going to do it, then make it look more authentic. Don't just make it look like a bad Pixar animation. Yeah, don't take a half measure. Right, because that's that's what it did. So that kind of bothered me. Some of the sentimentality sort of got under my skin a little bit. Michael Doherty even said he wanted to make a movie that mixes, like, sentimental aspects with darker stuff. So I, it's it's intentional, but some of it still kind of rubs me the wrong way. For the most part, it's, like, the, the comedic moments work really well. Uh, I, I have a note here um when fucking uh aunt doris gets uh ripped out of the window after the elves wrap her up in chains there's a fucking slide whistle yeah when she gets pulled out the window <laughs> oh, no. and i i laughed so hard at that i love that kind of yeah. shit the sound design in general for this movie is pretty great it's very good like it's very clear you can tell it they did a lot of like adr and yeah. uh like manual sound design building the environments and the creature sounds yeah really well done but the slide whistle was the the icing on the cake that really was like that that was just beautiful i loved it (laughs) i utilize more slide whistle in in comedy again please what did you guys think of the ending. Okay, yeah, I wanted to get into that too. Spoilers. So uh, eventually, uh, only the the little boy is left. All of the family has been taken, and uh, just like with the grandmother when she was young, Krampus gives him a, a, a bell, like a, like a black iron like jingle bell, and he turns to leave. But then the little boy tries to uh, go after him and trade his life for his family's. So Krampus just ends up taking him too, takes all of them. And then 
wow, he wakes up, flash, and it's like, oh, it was all a dream, and he goes downstairs for Christmas, and they're opening up presents, and then he opens up one present, and it's the Krampus bell, and then we zoom out, and we see that the house is just in a snow globe in Krampus's workshop. I really enjoyed that ending. I know I, I like I like that too. I the first time I saw it, I was going to be absolutely furious if it had just been a dream all along. Yeah, that yeah. that would have been worse if, if, if they, it ended up being a dream. Right, I would have lost my shit, and I I think I even like exclaimed in the theater when that happened. I was like, "Come on!" And then <laughs> my my only problem with it though is after it zooms out and we see Krampus's workshop. All the toys and minions pop yes, up, and then they yeah, lunge at the screen. Right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Just in true cheap horror movie in fashion. In true cheap horror movie fashion, you have to... In true Blumhouse fashion, yeah. uh, even though Blumhouse did not produce this, gotta end it with the jump scare. If they had cut right before that, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. But the fact that they had to do that just kind of made me roll my eyes. Like, come on. Like, why... Why do you have to do yeah. that? The first time I saw the ending, I was all about it because I love the the twist of fate almost and how they're stuck. It's in like still a- kind of a downer ending, even though they almost went with the uh, it's all a dream. And yeah, they, they're stuck in an eternal Christmas purgatory. Yeah. But on this viewing, I kind of saw it as a little bit of a cop out. You think so? Yeah, just because it is a bleak ending, but having the whole family, including the kid, die at the end is also a bleak ending. Yeah. I wonder if the ending they went with was kind of a compromise, considering the PG-13 rating and the studio influence. Because I do feel like this was geared towards a younger audience than it could have been. I feel like it definitely was made so that if someone in their their teens or preteens, as I mentioned, could still watch this and and enjoy it maybe even a little younger because it's not very bloody it is still a scary movie i think there are still like scary kids films that are made and oh this- dude some of the some of the shit that i watched when i was little that was made specifically for kids is still some of the scariest shit yeah, yeah. the fucking dark crystal the jim henson movie that shit is borderline terrifying yeah. even now Dark I loved Crystal, it. Crystal, Secret of Nim. Secret of Nim. Poltergeist yeah. got a PG rating when it first came mm, out. What? Yeah, that's weird. Uh, but to get back to the ending, like maybe it's just because I, because the idea of being stuck forever on Christmas morning with a dysfunctional family for all of eternity is sounds like a, a my definition of hell. <laughs> Not my own family, personally. I love my family, but this family, like, the way they're set up, even though it's supposed to be all heartwarming, like, oh, now they all love each other, it's like, you know good and damn well that's not gonna last. (laughs) Yeah. Having to spend all of eternity with those people, that is truly the bleakest ending, I think. I guess that's the one thing I would have wished for a little bit more with that ending is seeing it sour a little bit because they're so cheerful and happy towards each other i mean you 
start to see it tower a little bit when they open the present and it's the bell and they all recognize the bell so you yeah. so then you know that it wasn't just the little boy's dream that they all assumed that it was their dream too yeah so yeah i i think i would have like if at that point they had like started fighting or bickering or something and then it zooms out and we see that it's in the snow globe i think that probably would have been better i agree with you it it worked it it worked better than it's all a dream but i don't know i was wanting a little bit more yeah same um should we rate this yeah. yeah i think we can just go ahead with ratings uh, for me, this was a great mix of horror and comedy. Certainly leans more to comedy, but I think that it's all done so well that you will enjoy this film. Wh- whether you're looking for a scary movie or if you're looking for for a comedy, and I think sound design is great. All of the creatures look great, with the exception of of Krampus. And the ending didn't hurt it for me. I understand they probably had to try and do something that was was bleak in a kids movie sense that it still doesn't end in an absolute sour note. For for that I'm going to have to give it a 4.5. I thought this was pretty it was certainly one of the best uh just horror comedy films I've seen in a long time. I can't remember one like that that yeah, we're, I mean, with the exception of Get Out, but I think everyone's talked enough about how good Get Out is. So, Right. Well, uh, I, I agree. This is a really well-constructed film. It's a, it's a Christmas horror movie that is good not because it's corny and schlocky like Santa's sleigh is. Like, it's a, it's a genuinely pretty well-told and crafted story. I, I think it's pretty far from perfect. Just, uh, I think the PG-13 rating hurts it for me. Uh, some of the sentimentality just uh, makes me roll my eyes a little bit. Uh, but overall, still an enjoyable experience. I still really like this movie. It's a good movie to watch this time of year. So I'll give it a I'll give it a four out of five. Okay. Uh, I love the sound design in this movie. The creatures, the puppetry is all great. Uh, there's a lot of funny moments in it. It feels a little compromised by the PG-13 rating, like you said. It's still a good movie and one of the best, if not the best, recent Christmas horror movies to come out. Um, so I'll give it a solid three and a half out of five. All right. That gives us an average rating of four out of five. Check it out. And now, Ben, why don't you talk us into our Christmas game? Talk us into the game. All right. Let's deck those halls. Um, so I have decked those balls. Got him. These nuts. Right? (laughs) We're going to have to skip choosing for the next episode because the next episode is our 2017 year-end blowout extravaganza. Year-end review. But the episode after that, my thought is we can cover three 2017 horror movies that we didn't watch. For an extra bonus for this game, I will let you guys pick all three of them. So I have some quotes from movies, uh, Christmas-themed movies, and you guys have to guess what movie it comes from. Okay. Okay, so the first one is, Fuck you, Santa Claus! And that comes from either Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Santa Slay, Rare Exports, or the Black Christmas remake. 
I'm going to say Silent Night, Deadly Night. Um, I'm going to say Santa Slay. You are both wrong. It's Fuck from Black no. Christmas Fuck. remake. Oh, I don't know why Santa Claus is in there. I don't even know it. Damn it. Next one. The real Santa was totally different. The Coca-Cola Santa is just a hoax. It's from either uh, Christmas Evil, Better Watch Out, Rare Exports, or Silent Night, Deadly Night. Um, I'm going to say Better Watch Out. I'm going to say Rare Exports. It is uh, Rare Exports. Yes! Fuck! Yes! Um, fuck you! Fuck you! <laughs> I'm going to win this game. I think... That's a British movie, I want to say. I've never About seen it. An I've Evil Santa. I I, all I know is it has Evil Santa in it. But the last quote is 20% chance of frostbite and 100% chance of death. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. This is from either Krampus, Elves, uh, Bad Santa, or Jack Frost 2. Jack Frost 2. Shit, I was going to say, I'm going to say Jack Frost 2. Yeah, I mean, shit. (laughs) You have frostbite in the quotes. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, Eugene, you won two. Matisse, you won one. No. So, So I get to choose the three movies we talk about, and they have to be horror films from 2017. Yeah, that we haven't seen ideally. Okay, well, I think There's I have plenty some to choose from. Yes. So, uh, my choices first is going to be The Killing of a Sacred Deer, Yogos Lithimos' next film after The Lobster. Cool. It's, uh, it's about an anesthesiologist who takes a young boy under his wing, but when he does, he begins to realize this boy has some severe problems, and it's supposed to be. Very good, and I want to talk about that one. Haven't seen it, so that's a that's a good excuse for it. Perfect. The next one, I want to watch the. Uh, and this is going to be a horror movie in two respects. I want to watch the Snowman. Oh no! Yes, yes, yes. Because if you if people have not heard about the Snowman, it was a train wreck of a film. And it looked so good in the Yes, there was, there was so much promise behind it all, but it just ended up being a, a failure. I guess we get to see why Michael Fassbender's character is named Harry Hole. Yes, and then, because I, I want to do good, bad, and then really bad. Oh, no. I want the next film that we talk about to be Amityville, The Awakening. Oh, God. Why? <laughs> yes, so. Why? This is. <laughs> Sorry, but hey, it was between that and Flatliners, which I... I would have rather uh, watched Flatliners. Really? I, I would have rather watched Jeepers Creepers 3. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, then, I, I'm sorry that I could not deliver that, because I would like to watch Amityville The Awakening. Fuck. Just to see. Yes, so, no, I'm not budging on that one. <laughs> so, Killing of a Sacred Deer, Amityville The Awakening, and The Snowman will be... Uh. Our episodes for uh, after New Year's. Yes. All right. And yes, that means our next episode is going to be our year in review, where we're going to talk about some of our favorite and least favorite movies from uh, from 2017 uh, and uh, some of our favorite and least favorite movies that we've talked about on the podcast. So stay tuned for that. It will be dropping on the new year. 
So get hype. I think we're going to have to wrap this up because I still need to go get Santa's body out of my kitchen and yeah, clean it's... up some of that some of that tasty, tasty Santa blood. I did have some of it. It was tasty. It was good, right? You, you don't have to clean up so much now. That's hints of uh, gingerbread, which I really thought was quite nice. Yeah, who would have thought that Santa like tasted good, too? What? Oh. But and so do you oh, taste fuck. good? Yeah. Uh, huh. No, no, I do not. <laughs> I think you're lying. Oh no, no, I just tried myself. I'm, I'm disgusting. I know from my own experience, I taste pretty good. So, <laughs> was do, do you still taste like turkey? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's it's not so bad now. I have sort of been supplementing it with like little turkey bouillon, just sort of spreading it around the wound. Well, yeah. Uh, then let's. It's then, a, I think it's a fetish at this point. Then let's eat Eugene instead of eating me. No, no, don't eat me. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. As always, still looking for ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you enjoy the show, we would greatly appreciate if you would head on over there and uh, write us a review. Give us a rating. We love you guys. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Pod People Pod. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome. You can follow Ben at Mr. Sheets. You can follow Eugene at Strictly Haiku. And... Uh, you know, you know all the good stuff. Uh, the show is edited by me. It is produced by Ben, who does our theme music. Big shout out for that, as always. Christmas theme. Our Christmas theme music this year, the that, that fire remix. <laughs> well, uh, I'm Matisse Van Rossum. I'm Ben Sheets. I'm Eugene Lundy. Is that my name? (laughs) 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 I'm Eugene Lundin. I am being held at knife point. They're trying to eat me, so I think we're going to have to go and battle this out. Keep it merry. Keep it scary. Goodbye. See you in 2018. See you in 2018.